there. You're listening to the Cary Church Podcast. We at Cary seek to be flourishing communities of hope, transformed by God's love, following Jesus and serving in God's world. To find out more on how to connect with us, go to cary.asn.au. Thank you for that very kind introduction, Georgia. Hey, for those of you who are very perceptive, you might have noticed that Georgia spoke on that same passage last week for those of you that were here, but Nick is sick. And so um, I'm kind of a last minute ring in, uh, helping Nick out because he's crook at home. So, but it's awesome to be with you guys. It's been a long time since uh, I've got along to uh, carry at night. And so it's really good to have this opportunity to share with you. Georgia heard my message this morning and there's maybe a little bit of overlap, but if there's some stuff that stands out to you, lean into it because maybe God is trying to actually say something just to you tonight. Um, So tune in, don't tune out thinking, oh, I heard this last week because it'll be different, okay? So we're talking tonight about messy people making disciples in a messy world. Messy people making disciples in a messy world. Before we look at Acts chapter four, I just want to go back a few weeks. Um, Dave spoke here a few weeks ago. Is that right? Yeah? So a few weeks ago, Dave spoke on chapter three, and this kind of follows on from what Dave spoke about uh, a few weeks ago. And Peter and John, they rocked up to the temple and they went to pray as they did most days. And they walked into the temple and they saw this man who had been uh, in the temple most days. His mates would carry him into the temple lean him up against the wall and he would beg for money because this man had been lame for 40 years. He couldn't walk and that was how he earned an income, begging at the temple. And he saw Peter and John coming to the temple this one particular day and he asked for money. And Peter and John said to him, Peter says to him, I don't have money, but what I do have, I'll give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And this guy he jumps up and he starts running around the temple and he's praising God. Dave kind of did this jumping around. I'm not going to do that. I'm a bit older than Dave. Um, But this guy was jumping around and just giving thanks to God. He was just overawed with joy. This is a man who had never previously walked. And at this point, all these people start to gather around and that kind of got people's interest because this was a man that everybody knew. They all knew that this guy had been lame since birth. You see a guy that's been lame for 40 years, begging in the temple every day, and all of a sudden he's running around and saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that I can walk. You're going to pay attention. And so all of these people at that point start gathering around. They gather around Peter and John and say, what's going on? What's just happened? And Peter seizes on this opportunity and he preaches this amazing sermon. And we'll come back to that a little bit later. But there'd been a group of religious leaders, a group of religious leaders. There were, we're told there was priests, a captain of the temple guard and Sadducees. These guys were like the temple police and they kept things in order. They made sure that there there were no public disturbances in the temple. And so they come up to Peter and John and they confront them at this point because Peter in his sermon had said some really hard-hitting stuff. He'd said some really, really cutting stuff. He'd absolutely roasted these guys. And so they come up and they confront Peter and John. Not surprisingly, at that point, these guys, given one of their roles was they were kind of like a temple police, they arrested John and they arrested Peter and they threw them in jail. 
and they spent a night in jail. These guys are probably hoping that they would cool off a little bit in jail overnight and they would come out in the morning and everything would be fine. They'd stop talking about this Jesus character that they were so excited about. The following day, they're brought out and the temple court was formed. Maybe a little bit like you guys sitting here, they were sitting in a, a bit of a semicircle and these, these were the most senior religious leaders in all of Israel. The, the chief priest himself was even there. And this was an intim- a really intimidating scenario for Peter and John. A really intimidating scenario because they were sitting, sta- they were standing like this, surrounded by people who were really powerful, really influential. Some of these people were the people that had actually been responsible for crucifying Jesus. So they had probably had pretty good cause to be a bit concerned at that point. And they asked them a question. By what power or what name did you do this? And at that point, Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's just overcome with the Holy Spirit. And he responds with incredible courage, courage like he's never previously known. And he tells the court that the lame man was healed because of Jesus. He was healed in in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. But Peter's feeling so filled with courage. He's, he's filled with so much boldness. He doesn't stop there. He goes on and he says, you were the ones that crucified this Jesus. You crucified this Jesus. He points the finger at these most senior religious leaders and says, you guys put Jesus on the cross. You put Jesus on the cross. And Peter wraps up his response by saying that salvation can be found in Jesus but only through Jesus alone. So he kind of finishes on a bit of a hopeful note for these guys who he's totally roasting. But even saying that salvation can be found in Jesus would have really irked these guys. It would have really bothered these guys because they saw Jesus as a revolutionary, as a stirrer, as a trouble cause, and not as the Son of God. So to say that salvation is available in Jesus, that would have just really rubbed the salt into the wounds. Now, Peter and John hadn't actually broken any laws. So these guys were the temple police, but Peter and John hadn't actually broken any laws at this point. So all all they could really do was give Peter and John a bit of a slap on the hand, say, you know, Peter and John, you really need to stop preaching. You need to stop speaking about this Jesus guy. But But Jesus had completely changed Peter and John. He had totally transformed their lives. He totally transformed Peter and John's lives. And he'd sent them out and he said to them, guys, I want, you to go and, I want you to go and spread the good news. I want you to go and talk about what you've experienced and what you've seen. And having been so transformed and changed by the work of Jesus in their lives, there was no way they were going to stop preaching. So they give another backhanded comment to the religious leaders and then the religious leaders let them go. Now, this was a significant moment. We're talking about Instagram moments through this series. I assume you guys are talking about Instagram moments. Is that correct? Yes. So this was an Instagram moment for Peter because this was actually the first time that the church had actually experienced persecution. Not much of an Instagram photo. I'm guessing maybe one from jail, but um, this was the first time that they had experienced persecution and opposition. And it came from the most senior people in all of Israel, the people that had crucified Jesus. 
I wonder if Peter, when he faced this moment of persecution, whether he had wondered how he might go. Because remember, Peter denied Jesus three times before Jesus was crucified. On the day of Pentecost, Peter had met with, a, he'd met with people kind of poking a bit of fun after his sermon. Do you remember the, the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost and, and people poked a bit of fun and said, oh, surely these guys are just drunk. So a bit of ridicule, but he wasn't actually persecuted at that moment. But here, Peter's persecuted and he's filled with incredible boldness. Filled with incredible boldness. So that, that initial failure that Peter experienced, it didn't determine his final destination. And I think there's, there's a small nugget in that for us. Even when we fail, it doesn't determine our final destination. Now this series is about following Jesus. This is really weird. This happened to me this morning at the same time here at Harrisdale. Siri kind of just popped up on my uh, laptop. I must, have said, I must have said something that made that pop up, but it didn't happen at Forestdale, so I'm not sure why it happened here and not at Forestdale. Anyway, so this series is about following Jesus. In the book of Acts, we see people being disciples of Jesus, following Jesus, and we see people making disciples. So there's being and making disciples. When I became a pastor at Forestdale about four years ago now, I was invited to go on this uh, two-day conference. It was over in Melbourne and it was called the Emerging Evangelists Conference. I was about 30 people and uh, I had never considered myself to be an evangelist. That is just not something that I am at all gifted in. And um, I went on this trip and there were some great presentations. They got people to come in from all around Australia. They spoke about sharing the gospel in a 21st century context, how to be relevant, all this sort of stuff. And there was some awesome content. But the thing that really stood out for me over those couple of days was the people. I got, com- had got to have conversations with lots of different people. And there was this one woman in particular, and I had a conversation with her, and she shared with me, she lived in Sydney, this lady, well, way out of Sydney, and she used to commute in, in and out of the city every day, and it was a four to five hour uh, train ride. And I said to her, man, that four to five hours on the train, that must be terrible. And this lady said to me, no, that's actually the highlight of my day. Every day is the train ride to and from the city. And I said, well, why? And this lady, she proceeded to share stories with me of opportunities that she'd had on the train to speak about Jesus. She said, I get so much opportunity to, to just sit with people and hear their stories. And sometimes God prompts me. Sometimes God prompts me about something and I'll, I'll ask a few questions and I'll share. She said, I've even had opportunities to pray with people on the train. And I thought, man, I could never do that. I just could never do that. I could be on a train for like 10 or 12 hours and just not have the ability, not have the gift to do that. And if I did, I'd probably totally stuff it up because I'd perhaps say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing. But this lady, she was just, she was gifted as an evangelist. That conference confirmed to me that I just am not a gifted evangelist. I spoke to these people and man, they were, they were just some really gifted people. And I just thought, man, I just can't do that. I can't do that. But what I can do is be who I am 
and who I am is I'm good at building relationships with people. I'm good at coming alongside people, getting to know people, hearing their stories, sharing my story, sharing life with people. And then opportunities to, to share about Jesus open up over time. As followers of Jesus, each one of us has our own unique Jesus story. We all have a special story that's unique just to us. We've experienced Jesus in different ways in our own lives. And we also have people in our sphere of influence who don't yet know Jesus and who need to know Jesus. Hear the the story so, so they can have their own Jesus story. Acts 4 reminds us that we can make disciples in this really, really messy world in circumstances that are really challenging. And when the circumstances are totally unconducive to sharing God's love with people, and God uses messy people to do that. He uses messy people to do that. At the start of Acts chapter four, the apostles were arrested and things didn't look like they were going real well for these guys. Um, perhaps it comes as a surprise when we read in, in verse four that many people believed. It tells us in verse four that many people believed and the church grew to about 5,000. So back to Acts chapter two, there was 3,000 people came to know Jesus after Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost. Fast forwarding to this particular incident, Luke tells us that there's now 5,000 people after this sermon. So an increase of 2,000 people, 2,000 people, that's just amazing. That's a huge response, especially when you look at some of the factors that seem to be working against Peter and John in this case. Here's just some things that I think are kind of negative factors or things that perhaps worked against them expecting to receive a positive response. Now this first one might sound really weird to you guys, but the first thing that I, that, that I sort of thought of here was Peter's sermon in chapter three. It was an amazing sermon, but there were parts of this sermon that were really, really hard hitting. He's just performed this incredible miracle. He's got thousands of people gathered around. He's got this opportunity to share the gospel, to tell people about Jesus and how much God loves them. And this is what he says to them. You, you handed Jesus over to be killed. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You killed the author of life. Now, I haven't been preaching for very long, but I wouldn't preach a come to Jesus sermon quite like that. And I read that and I kind of thought, Peter, maybe you should go and enrol in one of Brian Harris's preaching courses or something, just so that perhaps you can learn to connect with your audience a little bit better. You read that and you think, man, surely nobody's going to respond to that kind of preaching, to that kind of roasting. He said a lot more good stuff. I'm just telling you the bad stuff. But people did respond. 2,000 people responded to his sermon. The second thing that I think perhaps worked against um, expecting a positive response was the religious leaders. They'd interrupted Peter's sermon. So we read that they came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. That kind of interruption. So imagine if one of you guys just sort of stood up and say, hey, Mark, I just disagree with that. And somebody over here kind of said, hey, Mark, that's, that's just rubbish. Um, 
or, or came in from side here and, and started yapping in my ear. That, that's the kind of interruption that, that I envisage here. They came up while they were talking in the midst of Peter delivering his sermon. You would think that ordinarily if that happened within this kind of context, that everybody else would kind of be a bit distracted and lose focus. But in spite of the interruption from these religious leaders, 2,000 people said yes to Jesus. The third thing was that this was the start of opposition and persecution in the early church, this particular incident. First time anybody had been thrown into prison. And you've got these powerful religious leaders who are all standing there. Surely you would expect that in the, they were facing the prospect of being thrown into prison at best and potentially um, being killed, you would think that that would kind of put people off responding because these people saw the religious leaders intervene. They saw Peter and John get thrown into jail. They knew what had happened to Jesus. These, these guys were not scared to use their power and influence if people didn't toe the line. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if I was sitting in the crowd and I kind of saw that unfolding, somebody getting thrown into jail, I don't know that I'd be that quick to stick my hand up and say, yeah, put me down, I want to follow Jesus. Fourthly, Peter himself. Now, Peter, uh, most of us can identify with Peter. He's, he's a great guy, but he, he fails. He fails a lot, and I think that's why we can identify with him so, so much. He denied Jesus three times in the Gospels. I don't think Brian spoke here last week because it was Georgia, so he didn't. So last week, Brian spoke about the really sketchy approach that Peter had to including the Gentiles in the church. One minute Peter wanted to include the Gentiles and the next minute he wanted to exclude the Gentiles and he was kind of vacillating backwards and forwards. And we just read in the reading that Georgia read for us that the religious leaders saw that these guys were ordinary men. They were ordinary men, they were unschooled, they were untrained. In spite of Peter's failures, in spite of his shortcomings, God used this guy in amazing ways to spread the gospel. His lack of training, his lack of ability, his lack of confidence, the failures that he experienced in his life, they didn't prevent him from sharing Jesus with people. So that day, 5,000 people, 5,000 people. I was thinking about this um, particular Scenario. Imagine if Luke, he was the guy that wrote the book of Acts. Imagine if he hadn't told us that the church grew to 5,000 people. I think on the basis of some of those kind of negative factors that I've just briefly touched on, if Luke hadn't have told us that the church grew to 5,000, I'd read that story and think, man, there's no way there would have been a significant response in those sorts of circumstances. No way there would have been a significant response. But in spite of all of those things, the church grew and it flourished and it grew and it flourished and it thrived. It thrived. And the harder the persecution was thrown at the church, the more the church flourished and thrived. How on earth, how on earth did that possibly happen? I had a few really quick reflections. I think at one level, God is sovereign. God is sovereign. He sits above all of these different factors, no matter how dire our circumstances might look, 
God's ultimately God. He's in control. He's at work in ways that we just don't understand, that we don't comprehend and that we can't even see at times. Second, the people had witnessed a miraculous healing. They'd witnessed a miraculous healing. And that definitely caught people's attention. This taps into something in all of us. I don't know about you guys, but I don't, I don't, I don't want to serve a God that's dead, that's, that's kind of never at work in my life. I think all of us need to see God at work in our lives in tangible ways, in real ways, in ways that matter. After the service at Forestdale this morning, I had this guy come up to me and he said, Mark, have I ever told you about, um, in response to this particular thing about God being at work in real ways, he said, have I ever told you about how God healed me from asthma? And um, I said, no. And he started to tell me this story. 10 years ago, um, this guy was on major medications every day, like preventative stuff, like I take Ventolin, like this guy, he told me all these medications that he took every day. And he, um, it was crippling for him. And there was a healing service. He heard, he heard about this healing service at one of the local churches. And he was a bit sceptical. He thought, man, I'm not going to go along to that. But he went along. He went up the front. And this pastor prayed for him that he, that he would be healed. And he was healed. He said he went home the next day and he wasn't sure whether he should use his medication. And he didn't use his medication. And he's never used his medication since. He went to his doctor and the doctor said, how come you don't come in and get your medication anymore? I've noticed that you haven't been coming in and getting your medication. And he said, God's healed me. He said, rubbish. The doctor sent him off to do, some to do some scans on his chest because he had asthma so bad that there was actually scar tissue on his lungs. That's how bad this guy's asthma was. So the doctor sent him off for a scan and the scan came back completely clear. This guy's doctor was kind of blown away. That's, that's what I'm talking about. We want to serve a God who's actually active and at work and real in our lives. The fact that these people had seen this man get up and walk and run around the temple and give thanks to God for healing him. That's the kind of God that we want to serve. That was an amazing, an amazing thing. And that contributed to people being so responsive. I want to, I want to say yes to that, Jesus. If he can do that for that guy, I want some of that. I think there's a few other factors. The first the first factor that contributed to this response is in verse 13. And we're told in the story that the religious leaders noticed that Peter and John had been with Jesus. They noticed that Peter and John had been with Jesus. Now, this was a key thing. This made a huge difference. The fact that Peter and John had been with Jesus was something that clearly stood out to people. It was visible. Jesus showed his disciples how to follow him well. He showed them how to live. He sent them out. He commissioned them. He taught them from Scripture. He taught them how to read Scripture. He prayed with them and he taught them how to pray. He did life with them. He broke bread with them. And it was visible to those around them that they'd been taught by Jesus. They shared something of Jesus' wisdom. They had the ability to unpack and to share Scripture with people. And these guys spoke with the kind of authority and courage and boldness that Jesus spoke with. 
Jesus' influence was evident in these guys' lives and that made all the difference. You know, becoming like Jesus requires us to sit at his feet. It requires us to read our Bibles. It requires us to pray. It requires us to pray with other people. It requires us to be learning. It requires us to sit at Jesus' feet and just adore him for who he is. It requires us to worship him. Jet mentioned before that uh, Bo doesn't like doing four songs in a row. I could have kept singing tonight and had no sermon because, man, I was just loving singing with you guys. It was so good. That's being with Jesus, being with Jesus. These guys were easily identifiable as those who had been with Jesus. How awesome would it be if our lives looked like that? It'd be an awesome thing if people could look at us and say, man, he or she has been with Jesus. The second factor that contributed to an awesome response from the crowd was that the disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, being filled with the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, it's not a one-off thing. It's not like you become a Christian, you get the Holy Spirit, and that's it. That's the end of the deal. Because remember, Peter and John were, on the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room. When the upper room was, the wind blew through the room and the tongues of fire sat on the disciples' heads. They were there. They were filled with the Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And we read in verse 8 of chapter 4 that Peter was filled with the Spirit before he spoke, before he spoke to the religious leaders and responded. He was filled with the Spirit that enabled him to respond with incredible boldness and courage. And then after this event, after the religious leaders let John and Peter go, they ran back to their friends and they shared what, it, what they'd experienced. They told their friends, man, you're not going to believe what's just happened. We prayed for this guy and this guy was lame and now he's walking. We, were, we spent a night in jail. They, they, they share with their friends what they've just experienced. And at that point, they start to pray with their friends. And in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4, we read this. After they prayed, the place where they had been meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. And it goes on throughout the book of Acts. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that we need to experience on an ongoing basis. God continually tops us up rejuvenates us, revives us, breathes into us anew and afresh. And Paul, in his writings to the Ephesian church, he tells them, he tells them in Ephesians 5 verse 18, be continually filled with the Spirit. And it's an instruction that he gives them. It's an instruction, be continually filled with the Spirit. When we're filled with the Spirit, He can enable us to do things that perhaps we're not actually naturally very good at. So for Peter, he became bold, having been this kind of fearful, fearful guy. He speaks with amazing boldness and courage. The Spirit might give you something completely different, uncharacteristic courage or, or the ability to have insight and, and into tricky situations and to understand people. It might give you wisdom or something else. He gives a host of different things, but be filled with the Spirit. 
Making disciples, that's something we definitely need the Spirit to be involved in. We need Him to be intimately involved in the process of us seeking to share our faith and make disciples. We need Him to direct us and to guide us in the right conversations. The lady, the friend that I made at the Emerging Evangelist Conference, she's a wonderful example of somebody who only speaks as the Spirit leads her. We need the Spirit to be involved. And we need Him to empower us. We need Him to give us boldness and courage because I've got to tell you, um, this is something I find hard, sharing my faith with others. You don't think, he's supposed to be a pastor. In the right circumstances, I'm more than happy to talk about Jesus. But I don't have the kind of boldness that I've experienced and seen in the, in the lives of other people. I just couldn't do that. I need to pray for boldness and courage. The interesting thing about the Spirit in the book of Acts is that he often seems to come in the context of prayer. In the context of prayer. When people are praying together in community. When people are praying together in community. So can I encourage you to pray? Pray by yourself. But if you don't currently have other people that you pray with, pray with other people. Pray with other people. Pray in community. Ask that the Spirit would come afresh. If we hope to be a community that's filled with the Spirit, we need to be a community that prays with one another. As we wrap up this evening, um, be encouraged by this story in Acts 4. It was a moment that the church started to experience opposition and persecution. And only a few chapters later, the first person was martyred for their faith. many, many, many disciples were made in the book of Acts and the church flourished and it grew and it thrived. And God used messy, imperfect people just like me, just like us, in the midst of really messy and difficult circumstances where they were facing stuff that was really difficult and incredibly challenging. And they made disciples. None of us will get it right all of the time. None of us will get it right all the time. But God uses us and he works in spite of our messiness and in spite of the imperfection that we have in our lives. I know that for myself, I don't always put my best foot forward. And yet God can use that. He can use that. Our lives will not always be a perfect, shining example of the gospel. But God can still use that. He uses messy, broken people to make disciples. The thing about the imperfect people that we read about in the book of Acts is that they were people who had been with Jesus. People who recognised their need to be with Jesus. And they were people who were filled continually, filled continually, filled continually with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that even though we are just a group of messy people, you can use us to make disciples, disciples who can bring transformation to this world. I pray, Lord, that you would come now. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would come now and fall afresh on us. I pray that you would fill us afresh, fill us 
anew. May we be people who proclaim your word with boldness and with courage. Pray that you would give us wisdom and insight into the lives of those that we seek to share our Jesus story with. And pray that you might use us to bring healing and reconciliation and transformation in this messy world. Amen.